get it in. Dustin Smith, Jabari for three and the win. Yeah! He got it! We are here to fuel the Rockets News. This is Rocket Fuel Podcast. Uh, of course, I'm your co-host, Lashara Binkley. You can always find my written work on SB Nation or the Dream Shake. And you can always find me on Twitter at Binkley Hoops. And before we introduce our very special guest, I'm going to give my famous co-host a chance to introduce himself. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Vader. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Vader underscore H-Town for all your Rockets-related news and a little bit of uh, Houston Texans and Astros stuff, too. And as you see, we have a very special guest because we have a very special show. We all know that by now that the Rockets uh, were able to get their main priority, their main target, which was Fred Van Vliet. They signed up to a three-year, $130 million deal. We haven't heard all the terms as far as the actual contract is concerned, but as of right now, he is a max deal, actually the first max deal player of this entire offseason. So we have a very special guest today. We're joined by Vivek. Jacob of Raptors.com. Um, I've actually went to him several times before on other um, Toronto Raptors news that I needed to know about. Um, recently, I talked to him about Nick Nurse because uh, at the time, it was a chance the Rockets was going to bring Nick Nurse in. We all know that didn't eventually happen. But again, I reached out to him again yesterday about Fred Van Vliet. And um, Vivek is one of probably the least that I know is one of the best people to go to when it has come to Raptors basketball. He's f- followed Fred Van Vliet for a while now, so I definitely want to bring him on. One of the best sources out there for Toronto Raptors basketball. So definitely, I appreciate you joining us today because it was kind of late notice when I actually come on the show. No, oh, I re- really appreciate you guys having me. I'm excited to talk about Fred. You guys got a good guy and uh, a really good player, and uh, the Raptors are definitely going to miss him. Yeah, but before we get to into the, you know, talking about Fred himself. Uh, can you give us a little bit of your background? We were talking a little bit before the show started, but can you give our audience a little bit of your background, um, how you kind of you got started into it and some of the different platforms that they can find your content? Yeah, so, you know, I probably started around the 2015-16 season with my own blog and just like covering uh, you know, everything that I wanted to cover from like a general NBA perspective, obviously focused on the Raptors since I was here in Toronto, but uh, covering general NBA. Then I got in with, uh, I don't know if you guys know Coach Nick with uh, B-Ball Breakdown. Uh, so yeah. I was doing some writing for them. Uh, and then I started with Raptors Republic. And so pretty much, you know, uh, as a professional, I'd say, uh, you know, from the 2016-17 season, I've been covering the team and uh, that's where I was lucky enough, you know, starting with the Raptors 905 to cover Fred Van Vliet in the D League. Uh, guys like Pascal Siakam as well, Norman Powell, and watch all those guys, you know, come up and really make an impact uh, on the Raptors. And then I moved up uh, to cover the Raptors as well. So um, pretty cool uh, to see the way those guys have flourished. Yeah. And that's definitely, like I said, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on because. A lot of times, especially when a player comes in and people that from that team maybe probably didn't even watch the team maybe more than a handful of times all year, they kind of form an opinion on certain players and they don't really know unless they've been watching them day in and day out. And in your case, you've been watching them for his entire career. So it's kind of just one of where I want to start overall. Can you just talk a little bit about Fred Van Vliet's journey from, you know, being undrafted to you know, becoming an all-star and becoming a champion now commanding, you know, max level money. 
Yeah, it's really incredible to think of. I think on YouTube, you can still go see, you know, he, he had set up like a draft night party, uh, anticipating, you know, getting picked and everything like that. Uh, and then he gave a speech at the end talking about, hey, like, this doesn't really mean anything. Um, you know, this is just the beginning of his journey and he is uh, going to be an NBA player and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, the thing I remember is, you know, first off him kind of getting that exhibit 10 contract and getting a chance to show what he can do uh, in summer league. And right off the bat, you could tell this was someone who was just like, Hey, I don't care how someone might perceive me as an undrafted player or whatever status they might put on me. Like I'm here to play, I'm here to compete. Uh, and that's what you saw. Uh, and then, you know, going, uh, to the Raptors 905, uh, the team's uh, D-League affiliate, I think his relationship with Jerry Stackhouse was really critical because I think it was important for him to kind of have a mentor who has done great things in the NBA and kind of show him the ropes and be like, hey, if you want to be an NBA player, these are the things that you need to do. Um, and, you know, there might be guys, because at the time, you got to remember, like if you got sent to the D league, G league, whatever it is, it was still frowned upon. Right. And it was just, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be an NBA player, whatever it is that players might say. And Stackhouse was like, Hey, you can, you, you know, mope about it and slouch and do whatever, or every single game, you can show exactly why you're not supposed to be here and you're supposed okay. to be in the NBA. And I think that's how Fred Van Vliet took it. And, he got called up. I still remember the first game that he got called up to the Raptors under Dwayne Casey. And it was on the road in Orlando. And again, this was an opportunity where it was kind of like, hey, a bit of garbage time. Um, and the Raptors were dealing with some uh, injuries at the guard position. That's how he ended up getting called up. And again, he, he was playing like it's the, it's the final minute uh, of the NBA Finals. And that is what he has maintained throughout his career. And I think that rise, you know, to to go, because you think about the starting point with the Raptors at that point, there was Kyle Lowry as the starting point guard. DeLon Wright was the backup point guard. And then Fred Van Vliet was behind. And so you think about the rise to be the one who was given the keys once Kyle Lowry left. That, sh that says everything about what he's done over the course of his career. I know I've said a lot. <laughs> oh, no, it's perfect because that's exactly what we need because, like I said, a lot of people don't know about you know, Van Vliet's story. And, I mean, if you hear that story, you can't help but kind of just root for the guy regardless of what you think about the contract or maybe he shouldn't get that much money. You can't help but root for somebody that kind of just – wasn't handed anything at all. And that's one of the questions I want to ask you. I don't want to hog out the questions. I know Vader has some questions for you too, but I want to ask you about the championship season in Toronto where he wasn't, of course, he wasn't the main guy. Um, he was definitely an important piece, but he wasn't the main guy on that team. And I, and I think that's something that he can kind of relate to some of the Rocket players that he's playing with now is that just because, hey, you may not be getting minutes now, like maybe uh, Amin Thompson may be like, hey, I want to be starting, but it's actually benefits of watching players that have done it before, that's been in the league before, actually, you know, go out there and show a, a, a young player exactly what they need to do in the league. Do you think that's something that Van Vliet can bring to the Rockets, knowing that, 
that's exactly where he was. He wasn't necessarily the main guy. He only started like 20 or some games that season. But now you see where he is now. Do you think that's something he can bring to the, his Rockets teammates now? Yeah, no question. Because at, at the end of the day, I think the Rockets are in a place now where they are trying to f- figure out winning on a consistent basis and bringing mm-hmm. those good habits night in and night out. And that is what Fred Van Vliet is all about. And, you know, you, you talk about the championship season, you know, even even the ups and downs that came with that, you know, because it ended the way it did, everyone remembers the positives. But yeah. The Raptors championship run started against Orlando in the first round and then Philadelphia in the second round. And Van Vliet got to a point where he was pretty much unplayable during those series because Orlando, Philly, both those teams at the time had a lot of length. And Fred Van Vliet is coming off all these curls and trying to get his shot off and he's getting blocked and he can't get his shot off and he's having to just, you know, move the ball around. And so um, to come off that, to be struggling to shoot the ball the way he was, then Milwaukee, the Fred Jr. story is legendary here in Toronto. I mean, it just so happens that, you know, in the background of this championship run, you know, his wife has a baby. Yeah. And it's a coincidence, but pretty much the baby is born and he just goes, (laughs) you know, full scorched earth and can't miss a shot after that and lights up milwaukee after the rappers go down 0-2 and they win four straight then he's lighting up golden state uh i mean those shots that he hit uh in the clinching game six down the stretch um and then you know there's that iconic primal roar uh that he had after he hit the big three to give them the lead with about with about three minutes left um that run he obviously he got a finals mvp vote from Hubie Brown, I, I think we know that only one guy was going to win Finals MVP, but <laughs> yeah. uh, to win uh, to win over Hubie Brown and get one vote uh, speaks volumes of the job he was doing uh, in that series, more so defensively. This is a guy who has defended Steph Curry as well as anyone the last few years. I mean, whatever it is about the matchup, Fred knows how to fight through those screens. You got to chase step around nonstop. Um, and that's what Fred did. Like he was coming off the bench, but in the finals, Danny Green would start the game at shooting guard, but every halftime, Fred would start the second half. Oh. And yeah. I think that was a huge turning point uh, in that series as well. And just having that adjustment for Steph and having that matchup for Steph to make life as difficult as possible. Obviously, we know with, with those superstar talents, there's no stopping them. <laughs> They're going to get exactly. there. But can you just make life as difficult as possible? And that's something that Fred did. Obviously, last season was a down season defensively for him. But we also got to remember that the season before that, he narrowly missed out on making an all-defensive team. And that's yeah. kind of his ceiling uh, as a defensive player. Let me ask you this. Um, a lot of people that I that I know who were not uh, excited about the the contract because they, you know, he, he's making a lot of money now. Let's just be perfectly honest about it. Um, would you say that he is in decline or would you just say that he had some injuries that kind of like derailed his season a little bit as far as his his ability to perform on, on that end of the floor defensively? 
Yeah, look, I, I don't think there's any question that Fred Van Vliet um, has probably been overpaid, but I also think the Rockets were in a position where they had to overpay to get their guy. And, you know, the way the salary cap rules are now, they were going to have to find a way to spend $50 million. There is that minimum spend that you have to have now. And so if you weren't going to pay Fred Van Vliet, what are you going to do? Give the max to Grant Williams? Like, <laughs> so I, I think that's the situation they, they found themselves in a little bit. Um, but I think in terms of what the overpay looks like in today's market, he was probably around a 30 mil guy, like probably around that same range um, as a Jeremy Grant. That's probably, you know, what, what you're looking at. And so I think um, to go up to, you know, 40 plus, that is a, a bit over the top. But again, you, I think you had to do that to secure his services. Um, and now in terms of last season, uh, I think that was all sort of building up based on what's happened the last few years uh, with Nick Nurse's rotation. And Nick Nurse throughout the regular season just played seven, eight guys, uh, didn't really trust his bench. And if you look at the numbers, you'll see no one ran more than Fred Van Vliet in terms of miles. <laughs> if you go to yeah. NBA.com stats to check that out, um, no one played more minutes in the league than Fred Van Vliet these last few seasons. And I think that had a serious impact. At the end of the day, this guy is someone who is generously listed at six feet, uh, and he knows one way to play when he's out on the floor. So if you got him out there, you know, uh, for the the 36, 37 minutes that he averaged during the regular season, um, you you know he's playing at, at a certain level of intensity, and that's you know uh, on some level going to cost him. Uh, and so I think if uh, his minutes can be better managed, uh, I, I do think that you'll see a return to form. Uh, he's 29. I think he's absolutely in the prime of his career. Um, and he's openly talked about, uh, you know, looking at different training methods in the off season to get him as ready as possible um, for the rigor of 82 games. So I, I think, especially with the shooting, uh, I think that's an aberration. Uh, he's not a 34% three point shooter. Uh, until last season, he averaged 38% from three. That's much more in line with what I'd expect. And the other thing I'd say is this is a guy who can really knock down the deep three as well. And you talk about, you know, not being satisfied by success. When I bring up those struggles he had against Orlando and Philly, Fred went into that offseason as a champion and said, hey, I got to make sure those types of series don't happen again. And he really worked on being able to shoot from 30 feet, 35 feet. Um, and, and so that, you know, that length he can pull up or he can catch and shoot from further back. And now guess what? The, the further back you're going to be able to shoot from, the further you're pulling them out, it gives you a bit more room to operate, to drive past guys as well. Uh, and so I think those are the things uh that you will come to appreciate about Fred. So I'm glad you said that because a lot of people have been trying to convince me that he's on a, on a like rapid decline. And, you know, like if we know anything about the NBA, typically, like you said, that is the prime of your career. Like, you know, guys do go through injuries and they have some tough seasons from time to time, but like 29 is like the sweet spot. Like you, you, you still have like your, your ability. And now you have like a deeper knowledge uh, and understanding of the game. So 
I think that, you know, as far as like him being in the, in the prime, his prime years, 29, 30, 31, like that's not old, but a lot of guys have been like saying, like, oh yeah, they gave, uh, you know, all this money to an old player. And I'm like, <laughs> it's no, like I, I, I'm so used to having, you know, 19 year olds on our team. Yes. We forgot what a, <laughs> like, what a real team looks like and a real team has veterans. And um, like I said, that sweet spot for a veteran is actually right in that, like, you know, 27 to 32 uh, year old range, not, you know, not 22, uh, 23. I don't, I don't know what these guys are thinking like a, like a prime is, but like your, your prime is actually like, you know, probably the tail end of your twenties and your early thirties, honestly. Yeah, 100%. And if anything, I'd argue like that prime range is widening and it, it's getting yeah. older because of how much we know about sports science and how much better athletes are taking care of their bodies now, right? Like, we're finally seeing LeBron go into decline. Yeah. And like, you know, no one would have said LeBron was in decline at 33, 34, you know? It's, it's, it's only now when these guys are hitting 36, 37, 38, you think of all, you know, the other great athletes in, in other sports as well. Like, people are hitting that decline phase later in life. Yeah, yeah if we would have had Chris Paul at 29, like we we probably have like multiple championship rings by now because Chris uh, Paul. Don't is don't, not, don't bring Chris Paul up. Other than, other than, <laughs> um, I'm just saying, like as far as like the age, like I've, I've just been hearing like a lot of people complain that we gave a a massive contract to an aging player, and I'm like, he's not really old. <laughs> he's not old yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, and yeah, he's like, far from old. <laughs> yeah, and it's also it's also a three year deal, like. This isn't, you know, your own guy who you you've re-signed for like five years, and now that's a long commitment, right? Like when I when I look at Jeremy Grant, I'm like, okay, that's a long commitment, right? Yeah. For five years, but three years, like especially knowing, you know, coming up this season, what he's likely to bring to the table, and then, um, you know, what he's going to bring at age 31, 32, like, and then you can figure it out from there, right? So. I don't look at it as a, as a big deal. Like he definitely has his weaknesses. He's he's not a perfect player by any means, but um, I wouldn't look at the age issue. I, I would look at just more prioritizing taking care of his body. And, you know, recognizing that hey, this is a guy who's just about six feet um, and plays one way when he's on the court. And so, you know, how do you get him down to, you know, like thirty? two to 34 minutes yeah and i think we have a roster that can facilitate him like playing less minutes uh we got a lot of like talent on the team we just don't have leadership and we don't have vets so i think it, it this could potentially be a really good fit uh what do you, what do you think it is that um what made the rockets want fred van vliet so badly that they would pay him this amount of money like what do, what do you think that he is going to bring to the to the houston rockets yeah, I think number one thing uh, on the court would probably be his ability to shoot the ball and defend the pick and roll. I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that he really was effective with the Raptors when he was especially, you know, had, had a strong big to work with, like Jakob Pertl after they made that trade or Marcus All and Serge Ibaka before that was he knew exactly how to uh, direct offensive players. He has 
unbelievable hands. I mean, this guy, when you talk about timing a double team and, you know, getting his hands on a loose ball, like there's a reason this guy leads the league in deflections, is always up there in steals. Um, that is something uh, that you guys are going to come to really appreciate about him. Uh, and then the outside shooting. Again, this is a volume shooter who I think is extremely effective uh, at, at the three ball. Um, and I think, you know, the playmaking ha has progressed for sure. Um, and, and I think that's where the relationship with Alper and Singoon, I think, is going to be really critical because Singoon, obviously, such an unselfish player, is so good at getting other guys involved uh, and kind of seeing the whole floor. Um, I think that could be a, like a really interesting tandem to watch. Yeah, anything, and you, anything, you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Anything about like oh, no, in, intangibles? Like, is he a is he a locker room guy? Is he a, is he a leader? Oh yeah. Okay, because I've heard like I've heard like some some difference in, of opinion because I know he had like the situation where I guess he got on his team. But like to me, that's part of being a leader. Like sometimes you have to be a vocal leader. Uh, and I felt like he was doing that, but like a lot of people are pointing to that and saying, oh, he's not a, you know, you think he's a good leader or a good teammate. And he, you know, there's evidence out there that, that points to that he's not. And if anybody would know, it's you, cause you've, you've been around him, like you said, since, since the G league day. So, uh, what do you have to say as far as about how is he in the locker room and how is he, uh, as far as like leadership and stuff like that? I think he's an amazing leader. Uh, I think, you know, right from the get-go i mean even when you go back to his college days right like his time uh with wichita state like i, I think he's been uh an awesome leader uh just coming up through and i think that has like been a hallmark hallmark of his playing career and i think that's why the raptors also felt comfortable giving the keys uh to him and siakam and you know siakam is someone who kind of leads more by example uh in terms of what he's doing on the court um, but Fred Van Vliet was the one who became the voice of the team, uh, whether it's, you know, post-game conferences and talking to media and handling things the right way um, or, uh, you know, speaking to guys in the locker room. And I think uh, the point I was making uh, when I answered some of your questions was uh, just that he is a bit old school. And I think he is someone who he himself you know, is someone who brings the hard hat every single day. And so I think when he sees someone who doesn't bring that approach, then he's not afraid to call you out on it. He's not afraid Great, to challenge we need, we need that. We need that on the Rockets, 100%. <laughs> okay, good. And and so that's so I think that's where if, if anyone has the impression that, you know, he might not be the best leader, then on some level you're not comfortable with being told the truth. The truth. You're not comfortable with being challenged. Um, and I think that's all that Fred has been about uh, during his time in Toronto. Uh, and I think that um, when he sees uh, players who are supremely talented but don't have the work ethic that matches up with that, he is, at the end of the day, again, about winning. And so he is saying, listen, I know what you can be. If you put in the work that matches your talent, you can get there tomorrow. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you if you don't, then you know you might have to wait till 2025, 2028, or you might never get there. But how do we get you to get there today? And I think, you know, 
some of the experiences he would have had the last few seasons in trying to build like that next winner in Toronto will certainly help him in Houston. And maybe he'll look back on some of those experiences and saying, oh, you know, maybe I could have delivered this message in a different way, you know? And I think those are things that maybe he'll learn from. But overall, in terms of where he's coming from, it is 100% coming from a winner's mindset and understanding that this is the NBA. No babies allowed. (laughs) If you want to win at the highest level, you got to compete and you got to bring it every single night. And you got to understand that there's a whole bunch of people knocking on the door to take your job away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of leads me to my next question I want to ask you about, because, of course, the Rockets did draft Amin Thompson number four. And usually when you draft a number four overall pick, especially on a team that's been one of the worst teams in the league the last few years, they're usually going to be starting right away. And we kind of know now that's not going to be the case. Um, We talked a little bit about this before, but, what do you think he can show or what do you think uh, some of the things he can help Amin Thompson as far as being a good point guard, being a good leader to where maybe, you know, four years from now or three or four years from now, he can kind of take over the reins and, and do exactly what Fred Van Vliet did, where he started off as as a backup learning from players like Kyle Lowry. Um, what do you think he can show Amin Thompson to kind of help him along in his career? I think he can show him confidence i can i think he can show him uh inspiration uh just in terms of his career path i i I think there's no better story for amen thompson to kind of look at and being like hey what's our relationship going to look like then uh find the episode i mean i i know tyrese halliburton has been on the jj reddick podcast a few times but tyrese halliburton was asked um you know what gave you the confidence? What made you believe that you could be, you know, one of the top guys in the NBA? And he said, Fred Van Vliet came up to me after a game and said, hey, you're good. Just keep working. And he was like, that was the first person that told me that. And that's when it kind of clicked for me. And I think Fred is going to be in these young guys' ears, letting them know, hey, you can be great. You can be... And this is something... Fred has said about Scotty Barnes as well during his time in Toronto. He, he has said, quote, Scotty can be as great as he wants to be when he wants to be, <laughs> right? And I think that's where, you know, Fred will push guys and say, hey, how do we, you know, there's no, you know, skipping steps, but it's like, hey, how do we make these steps happen as quickly as possible? And so I think, He'll give him a lot of confidence, a lot of belief, a lot of love, um, and a lot of support, um, even if it is hard love at times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like Vader was saying, that's something the Rockets need because just me being in the locker room and talking to the players, it's like, man, I can be some of these players' father. That's how young the Rockets were, um, you know, the last few years, a bunch of 19, 20-year-olds who, I mean, even if you're the greatest player in the world, you're not going to really know how to win and not how to – uh, be a professional, you know, when you're only 18, 19 years old, only playing one year in college. So um, like y'all been talking about him being in that uh, situation himself and having that experience, that's going to help the Rockets tremendously because that's been the biggest issue the last couple of years. Some of it's Silas Falls, some of it's just circumstances to where they just didn't have that structure, they didn't have the guy that um, they're getting players facing and that player that they can absolutely respect. They had Eric Gordon, but he was really – 
more of a sort of like Siakam, a lead by example type of player. He wasn't really getting in anybody's face. And that's something the Rockets absolutely need, you know, going into this next season. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of his on-court play. I want to ask you, what's some of the sets that maybe he thrives in better than others? Is he more of a pick-and-roll guy? Is he good in isolation? Um, what's some of the things that you think that Ime can kind of uh, – put Fred in the best situations to where he can actually succeed on the court with the Rockets. Yeah, I, I think if uh, you're looking at Fred Van Vliet to excel, you know, I, I think, again, those actions with Sangoon are going to be critical. Uh, I think, you know, I mentioned that he, he's a really good screener. And so the Raptors would run actions with some inverted pick and rolls uh, where he's the screener. And, you know, it's guys like Scotty and Pascal with the ball. And those were really effective because, um, number one, you're creating opportunities where you can get a smaller guy to match up, you know, with a Pascal or Scotty. And so there's opportunities to do that for Jalen Green or whoever it might be. Um, on top of that, Fred is such a high IQ player. Like, he will read situations where he can just slip the screen. And then he's such a good shooter that, you know, it's, it, it just straight away turns into a catch and shoot opportunity. Um, I would maximize the catch and shoot opportunities that he has uh, that uh, his numbers, you know, barring last season uh, are outstanding in those scenarios. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think realistically, you know, when he has those opportunities where he has a big um, to lob to, to kind of work off of as well, he thrives in those. Um, I know that's not like, Sengun's like bread and butter. Uh, he's a different kind of player in that way. Um, so maybe that element will be missing a little bit. But again, I think catch and shoot opportunities, using him as a screener and yeah, yeah getting him coming off like curls as much as possible, um, you know, maybe some double drag. Uh, that, those are the, the opportunities that I'd be looking for with Fred. That's good because I, I feel like just listening to Yadoka, I think he's trying to eliminate some of the unnecessary dribbling. You know what I mean? Uh, because like in a press that's definitely something you got to avoid with fred <laughs> okay because he did uh mention that um he's looking for them to start making the extra pass i think this this team um we got okay shots we didn't always get the best shots and i think yadoka wants to come in and emphasize hey you might be open uh but the other guy is wide open i need you to swing the ball so uh, him being able to come in and be a team player and play off the ball i think that's probably one of the things that probably drew them to uh, going after Fred rather than going after a guy like James Harden. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And, you know, I think Fred is definitely someone because I don't think the point guard position comes in, like super naturally to him. I, I think he is uh, a bit of a combo guard in that way. Um, and a, yeah, he definitely has like that scorer's mindset. But I, I think and so you'll see him misreads from time to time and that leads to like the over dribbling or you know i think there are certain situations where you'll see you know it's down to like five seconds on the clock and he'll kind of be like okay you know what i i just got to create something here you know whereas maybe some other guards might be like hey five seconds seven seconds i can still you know make something happen here um and so i think you'll see a bit of that uh but that's where again yudoka uh you got to see what he can work offensively. I think uh, the Raptors have not have had a, a good offense the last couple of years. They have not had good th three-point shooting the last couple of years. And so I think that's played into a good chunk of uh, what we've seen uh, as far as some struggles in the playmaking. And 
Fred is also someone who has proven that when everything is set up the right way, he isn't selfish at all. And uh, I would go back to prior to the championship season, uh, the Raptors had what was called the bench mob. And uh, it was a unit of Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, DeLon Wright, CJ Miles, uh, Jakob Pertl. And that bench unit was like, you can look it up. They were one of the best, arguably the best bench unit in the league that season. They would come in. They weren't the type of unit that would just like, you know, hold whatever the starters have, have done. There, there were times where, you know, all of a sudden it's uh, a three point game going into the start of the fourth quarter and the bench mob all of a sudden has pushed the lead to 15 and they just end up closing the game. Uh, and that unit, the reason why I talk about that unit was they were unselfish as you can be. Everything was pass, move, roll, cut, uh, and it was beautiful basketball. And Fred Van Vliet was a big part of that. Championship season, there was a lot of unselfish basketball. Um, a lot of catch and shoot for Fred Van Vliet because that's what they needed him to do. But again, in those right situations, we've seen him be plenty unselfish. Yeah, I mean, that's something the Rockets absolutely need, especially coming from which will probably be, he'll definitely be the leader on the team next season. Uh, a couple of questions I want to ask you before we wrap up the show. I want to ask you, um, how close was he going to going back to the Raptors? I mean, I know the Raptors were definitely interested in bringing him back. Um, there was a possibility of some reports coming out at the time that maybe they will offer him a multi-year uh, max contract, but how close do you think he was to going back to the Raptors? Was he kind of torn going between the two teams or uh, what was the situation with that? I think he was torn for sure. Uh, I think this is someone who, you, when you look at the path he had taken um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, being an undrafted guy, being someone that people had counted out, the Raptors were the ones that gave him that opportunity. The Raptors were the ones that consistently gave him more and believed in him. And so I think to leave the organization that he uh, he knew all along at this level, um, he's a huge, huge Kobe fan. I think for him, Kobe is his GOAT. So I think he's always valued like the one team thing. Yeah. Um, and so I think that weighed on him. Uh, but uh, I think it just came down to you, you guys is having uh, <laughs> uh, uh, an offer that was just yeah. impossible to turn down. I, I think the Raptors, in order to manage the books, you got Pirtle resigned this offseason for four years, eighty million. Um, you've got to get extensions uh, in a year to Pascal Siakam to OG Ananobi, um, and so I think managing all of that, I don't think the Raptors could go beyond. You know, say thirty to 30, 35 per year, uh, and then I think money talks in the end. Twitter is obviously not the best place to like gauge the pulse of a fan base in its entirety. You know, a lot of times there's just a lot of like vocal, obnoxious people on Twitter. But like last night, I, I was in a Twitter Spaces, and some of your fan base, like I said, not all, but some of your fan base is is like okay he's gone fine you like they they act like they don't care or that they're kind of happy that he's leaving whereas the organization obviously thought highly enough of him to offer him a sizable contract to bring him back why do you think that some of these fans are kind of like have have a disconnect why do you think that they are um kind of, why did why did they sour on on fred van bleed as a as a player in toronto 
I think online fandom, especially on Twitter, has drifted into just like pure hivedom. And so if you're yes. Scotty Barnes hive, you hate Fred Van Vliet. If you're OG Ananobi hive, you hate Fred Van Vliet. It, it, there's no like in between. There's no like, hey, the Raptors come first. Like we see that a lot in our fan base as well. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but yeah, there are some player only fans and then there are like actual Houston Rockets fans. And unfortunately, like it, it, it gets pretty toxic at times. So yeah. yeah. I, I definitely and, and, and the one thing that has kind of bothered me uh, is like, I feel really bad that Fred and even Pascal has had to deal with this. Uh, like they're the ones that get so much hate um, and like they're the only ones kind of who were left over from that championship team to actually like pick up the pieces right yeah. like it's not their fault Kawhi is gone and Marcus all is gone and Serge Ibaka is gone and Norman Powell is gone and Kyle Lowry is gone right like they didn't make those decisions but they're here they're trying to figure it out <laughs> you know yeah. uh, and so instead of like really just supporting them and uh understanding that hey like yeah they might have their limits as players but they're trying the best they can uh with the situation they've got uh, i think that's something that bothered me right like every time those other players come back to toronto they get these amazing standing ovations and i hope now that fred gets that and right. gets to really feel that love because he was a big part of that championship team and it just seems like that's kind of been forgotten which is crazy yeah. yeah, like Vader was saying, we know that all too well here. I mean, going all the way back to this James Harden and Jeremy Lin days till now with the Shangoon uh, only fans who are pretty, they're, they're pretty intense when it comes to anybody outside of Shangoon. <laughs> so we know that all too well here in uh, Houston for sure. Uh, one more question before we wrap it up. I want to ask you about, because I was just going through some of your posts and you were talking about this Fred Van Vliet off the court and how good of a guy he is, how charitable he is. Can you just talk a little bit about that as far as him just being a leader off the court in the community? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like he's set up so many opportunities where, um, you know, because he is business minded to support small businesses here. Um, and, you know, he, he's made contributions to kind of enhance those the small businesses, whether it be a restaurant, whether it be, you know, kind of a startup company, wh whatever it might be. Um, and then uh, I think one of the biggest things he did uh, was the University of Toronto program, uh, the business program here. Um, he set up a scholarship specifically for uh, black and indigenous students. Yeah. Um, and, and so they can get, uh, you know, a full ride uh, if they were to uh, qualify. And so I think um, the opportunities that he's taken to give back to the, com the community, I think, you know, there's team events as well, uh, where, you know, Toronto, we have a sick kids hospital. He's there meeting with the kids, spending time with them. All those little things make a huge difference. Um, he honestly has, has shown nothing but love to Toronto um, since he's been here. Um, and I think there's a lot of the community that really, really appreciates him uh, and loves him. Uh, and you know, I have no doubt that he will still try to stay involved in some way because I know he has that type of love uh, for the city. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's something good to hear that we don't get to talk about a lot is how players 
are doing a lot more than just stuff on the court. So I, mean, I definitely wanted to get your opinion on that. And that's definitely good to hear with him coming to Houston. Uh, before uh, we go on the show, uh, can you give everybody again, let everybody know where they can find all your content, where they can follow you on Twitter? Because like I said, you're a great follow on Twitter as well. Well, thank you. Th thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. Um, it's listed right there. Uh, and uh, besides that, you know, you can head to Raptors.com if, if you're curious about the Raptors on any level. Uh, one last thing I will add, uh, just talking about this, uh, I just remember with Fred Van Vliet um, and Pascal Siakam, because they came up from the Raptors 905 uh, in terms of really, you know, uh, buying into the development of players and all of that. Like when the 905 would play, even though they've become like Raptors players and they're so busy with their schedules and whatnot, whenever they had time and the 905 were playing at home, they would go watch the 905 play awesome. and go support those guys. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think that that speaks volumes about the type of guy you're getting. Yeah, that's, that's great because I follow the G League and I cover the G League as well. And I know how important it is, how, you know, a lot of times people may not even heard of the actual players, but they are still, you know, trying to pursue their basketball dream for, you know, the NBA players to go back and actually watch. I mean, I know that's huge for their confidence and for them overall. So, I mean, that's definitely uh, something good to hear that they're still out there, you know, supporting the G League, even though they've been able to fulfill their basketball dreams. That's that's awesome to hear. And again, thank you for coming on. Like I said earlier, this was like really late notice. I mean, like literally last night. And that fact that you came on today, that means a lot to us here. So we definitely appreciate it. Hey, Canada Day. It's it's Canada Day today. So happy Canada Day. Yes. Um, and, and you took one of the guys, but it's all love. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take good care of him. And hopefully he can lead the Rockets back to, you know, being a respectable team. So, hey, we appreciate you letting us have him. That's, that definitely will help us here down in Houston. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. And of course, Vader, appreciate you as always. Of course. Yeah. And, and like he said, uh, we have to pay a, we have to pay a bad team tax to, to bring him in. <laughs> so, um, I mean, obviously the, the org felt that, you know, he was worth it. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of the things that you said today were, were, was really good insight. And I hope that like whoever is watching or listening to this podcast feels a little bit better about the signing because, it does sound like we're getting a quality uh, player and person. So thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for today's show. Of course, we have a lot more news that could possibly break with the Rockets here. They still do have cap space, so we will be following that over the next several days. Of course, we have Summer League coming up uh, next, uh, actually, um, next week. So we'll be definitely keeping an eye on that and bringing you a podcast when it comes to that. We appreciate everybody that supports the channel, supports us on uh, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your audio podcasts as well. So we appreciate everybody joining us every week. Make sure you check out the next episode of Rockets Fuel Podcast. Podcast.